John Moran is a writer and policy advisor based in Brisbane, Australia. He is with us to speak about an important vote that took place recently, one that raises issues important really to all Western nations at the present time. Welcome, Mr. Moran. Oh, hello, Mark. Nice to be with you. All right. Okay. Tell us, what was the issue briefly that was on the ballot? Well, we had a uh, standalone uh, referendum ballot, uh, separate, obviously, from a general election where you're electing governments and the like. This was a, this was a specific issue. Uh, and the issue at stake was, um, if you like, the, the role of Indigenous Australians, that is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians, uh, in Australian society, specifically their their place in the in the national constitution, and there was an effort to try and get them a special place in the constitution, uh, namely through what's called a voice to parliament, was the first step, and that was that uh, somebody or Congress they they would have a special group of people elected amongst Indigenous people themselves uh, who would have the constitutional right to sit in this new body that would sit beside the parliament, that is the House of Representatives and the Senate, would sit beside the parliament and the executive government and provide advice or representations, is actually the proper word, not advice, representations on issues that they believed to be of significance to them uh, as Indigenous people. And they would provide advice or, or, or thoughts on or thoughts on um, legislation or government policy, uh, whatever whatever was coming up, or the budget, the annual national budget and so on, and they would uh, provide their thoughts and their input to the legislature and the executive government, the prime minister and his ministers or her ministers, uh, on those matters. And uh, the, before you can change the Australian constitution, you've got to have a vote of the Australian people uh, and you've got to get a majority of the people to support it, and you also have to get a majority of the six states to support So it's a, it's a dual test. You have to get a majority of the people straight out, 50 plus one, and you have to get four of the six states to all have a majority as well. So you get, and that's, uh, and in the and, end, and it, uh, it went down 60, 40 and lost in every state. And, and uh, uh, back, back to the, you know, the fundamentals here, this sort of independent legislative body you say would give advice, would weigh in, I presume that meant that the rest of the Australian government would have to listen and heed and, and act in some accordance, some degree of accordance with what this body advised. Was that the, was that the assumption? That's the assumption. I think that became, of course, a point of contention in the debate. Obviously, one side, the, the yes side, trying to, to make the point that, oh, well, it won't really interfere with the government very much. It's just an advisory body and the like. And the no people saying, well, hang on a minute. You can't necessarily say that. You don't really know uh, because the word actually was representations, not so much uh, just advice. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would have constitutional power, authority to exist. So what's the point? I mean, you and I can make representations to our members of parliament or members of Congress now. We don't have, you know, I mean, we don't have it written into the constitution that John Warren and Mark Bowline, you know, have a special right to, to, to make representations to the... I'd like to change that, sir. 
Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, go on, go on. Yeah. But so the no people were saying, well, you know, you, you can't say that. And the very fact that it's in the Constitution means that it then becomes an issue of litigation and, and just what the words mean and who interprets what the words mean uh, and what the implications are. Uh, just like, uh, you know, your, your Constitution is interpreted by the Supreme Court, ours is interpreted by the High Court, it's our constitutional interpret, interpreting body. And yeah. uh, uh, the fear amongst the no people was basically, well, you, you, you're going to leave this up to a bunch of unelected judges, just as a similar sort of debate to the to, to the ones you have over there uh, um, yeah. with regard to, to these matters. And the same fears arose. Well, we don't elect these judges. You know, the, the risks are, are too high and anything could happen in terms of uh, clogging up the role of government or the nature of government, the, the capacity of government to act, to make decisions. could go on forever yeah. waiting for representations from this body. They could uh, meddle in the budget, meddle in all, particularly in land. The big issue, of course, with the most Indigenous groups is land policy. I think it's the same in the United States pretty much at times with what we call native title and what we talk Indian, Indian reserves and so on. Uh, this is, this is a, an issue around the world of, of yeah. so-called indigenous land rights. So, so all us, of that became the point of contention. Yeah. Uh, give, give us a, a little background on, on how this whole thing came up. What was the genesis of, of this rather uh, sweeping, drastic proposal? Well, it, it arose out of an ongoing, uh, if you like, campaign or activist world uh, that, that's been around probably for, certainly in earnest, probably for about 60 years in Australia. Uh, just doing a bit of research on the United States, it's, it's been around a lot longer from what I can gather in the United States. But it certainly um, picked up speed in Australia in the 1960s. And, uh, and Aboriginal land rights, in particular land rights, became became a major issue in, in election campaigns and uh, and in general media campaigns and in general activism across the community. So throughout the sixties, seventies, eighties, and nineties, this this whole you know Aboriginal the role of Aboriginal people, this historical grievance about how they felt they were treated and actually were treated in fairness at times, it wasn't. Uh, it would be ahistorical to say that there aren't problems with that. But it, so, so we just went through this whole period of ongoing activism, um, which, as it said, got, got to this stage. It was, their, it was their ultimate part of their agenda to try and get themselves written into the Constitution in this fashion. And, uh, uh, and it's probably since the 1960s, it's been the first time that a lot of this activist stuff uh, has actually gone straight to the people en masse Mm -hmm. to get their views on it. And a lot of it just tends to be done at the political level and through, yeah. you know, and, and in general elections, as I've said, what, uh, again, same around the world, general elections tend to be fought across a range of issues. Yeah. So, yes, each political party has its manifesto and, and in that manifesto might be a whole range of things that deal with Aboriginal issues or Indian issues or whatever they are. Um, but quite often, of course, general elections tend to really then focus in on the big ones like the economy, healthcare, perhaps, or education costs. And and while these other issues are there, they don't tend to be the vote changers. They don't tend to be the vote magnets, if you like. Uh, um, so so th so they kind of just get rolled through. Yeah. Um, so similar to a lot of this woke stuff, it's just being controlled by activists, and it's not really being voted on until recently by the people. They kind of got away with it. 
um, for decades, this, this march through the institutions. They've been able to get away with it because the, the people haven't actually had a direct input to it or a vote on it. Right. And of course, this is the first time it's happened, and I think even I think across the Western world, where it's actually been a, a single vote on a single issue uh, of this nature in, in recent times. And of course, it, as I say, it got smashed. It, it got beaten well, sixty forty. Uh, uh, now, when it was first proposed, when the referendum was first formulated months before the election, it had loud support in the media from corporations, from celebrities, from sports figures, sports teams. E- even Qantas Airlines agreed to paint yes on its planes. Did it seem destined to, to pass when it first came up? I think it did to certain people. I, I will... Um claim some credit here when it was first mentioned at the election campaign last year and it's on the record it's in a tweet that i put out and everything i said well that'll be the first defeat this government has i, I never believed it would get up hmm. uh, just have a sense of these things uh, with my background in policy advice and, and issues management i just um but but certain early polling was showing 60 40 in favor as you say but that's that's often, as you know, it's often very soft in those early stages because people haven't really engaged on the real question. And, and it's more like, oh, do you think something better should happen for Aboriginal people? And people say, yeah, of course it should. Tick the box. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, then, yeah. You, then you get into the detail as the campaign goes on and people say, whoa, hang on a minute. You know, yeah, bit, yeah. This, this looks a bit more complicated than, than they're telling us. And, well, you know, I, I read a piece in CNN published one week before the election that contained distressing news. Uh, distressing, that is, to the author of the piece, polls showed that a majority of Australians solidly opposed the measure. Now, now the CNN reporter uh, framed the measure as merely seeking to give subjugated and, quote, terrorized population reasonable representation in, in the government. Was it, was it clear one week before that this thing, this thing was doomed. Yeah, it was clear about a month before that the polling really crashed, about four to six weeks before. Uh, the interesting thing is um, that a lot of this activism, as I said, has been going on. The really intense activism has been going on in Australia for about sixty years since the nineteen sixties. It kind of arose about the same time as Martin Luther King and your civil rights movement really hit its straps in the sixties. The same thing happened here. They kind of yeah, because um, across our societies, as you know, there's so much cross fertilization of ideas and conferences, people attending conferences and talking to each other and so on, even before the internet. So they kind of fed into each other uh, in our two countries to some extent. And, and, and it, as I say, it took off. Um, but then what's happened in recent times is that increasing numbers of Aboriginal people in particular have started to break off, started to hive off a bit. And the key thing to this campaign was there were a couple of very senior Aboriginal people who said, vote no. Why? Who just said, no, this is, this is going to create two Australias. This will create uh, a split country, and that's mm. not what we should be. We're all Australian. We're all Australian citizens, and let's leave it that way. We do not want to divide the country on race, right? But we actually got, a, we got away from countries and societies being divided on race or identity politics you know, and, and we don't want to bring it back. It's actually a regressive step to bring it back, hmm. even through this fashion. And to give and to give in Australia in the Australian case, three or four percent of the population, that kind of almost veto power 
or veto input into all legislation or government decisions um, would be in itself an injustice. Yeah. So uh, as the polls turned in the other direction, were the supporters, the elites, we'll, we'll say, were they, were they baffled? Were they surprised? Were, were they in a panic at the end? I think they were. I'm, I'm not quite sure why, but their campaign was very poorly run. From my perspective, as someone who's run a few campaigns, I looked at it and thought, oh, it was, was, was very poor. They, as you say, elites, they used a lot of elites. They even used a couple of U.S. basketball stars and black basketball stars. And, of course, as you know, the, the issue of indigeneity is not the same thing as uh, race politics all race politics in the United States. You're talking about transatlantic slave trade rather than, they're not indigenous to the United States. Um, This was was an issue of indigeneity. So one of the first things was they brought out one of these US rappers, big uh, black American rapper, and that went down like a lead balloon. You know, this type of using celebrities and all that kind of thing to try and sell this message and it just crashed. Then they just say they brought in the companies, then they brought in the big companies uh, Qantas, uh, most of the big mining companies all donated money to the yes cause, and that even got worse for them because, again, ordinary people think, hang on a minute, I'm not going to have Qantas tell me how to vote, you know. Right. I'll, I'll make my own mind up, thanks, you know. Right. And uh, so all of this stuff started to backfire and backfire badly, apart from the issue itself, which people started to see as quite problematic. But the fact that there are also all these elites basically trying to bully and intimidate people into voting yes. And, and of course, the age-old um, age rhetoric of, oh, if you don't vote yes, you're a racist, what used to get all of this kind of stuff, So, um, which wasn't yeah. true at all. For, I mean, there's obviously, there would have been a small percentage of racists in the no vote. There's always a, a coalition of people who vote for or against something for different reasons. But the vast majority of people just understood, no, we do not want two countries. We're not going to divide the country on race. It's, it's a regressive step. And yeah. uh, we're going to keep moving forward, not backwards, you know. And uh, you know, one commentator in the CNN story, a professor at Monash University, attributes the resistance to, and here's the quote: "Those who feel in some way aggrieved about their place in the nation." Well, what's he talking about? What does he think he's talking about? And do you agree? Uh, no, I don't agree. But I think he's. Uh, this is <laughs> this is the other thing that I should have mentioned before. This was one of the other uh, slogans that the Yes people started to run out was that the No campaign had introduced Trump-style tactics into Australian politics. Yeah. <laughs> so this this sort of started to get a run. So that's the kind of thing they're alluding to, that you've got this grievance, all these angry white people and so on who, you know, um, vote for the, the non-politician that I think we've discussed before. You know, and it was the non the people who vote for non-politicians who are voting no. They're the, they're the people who are um, just basically subverting all the good things these technocrats have managed to achieve in these modern societies. You know? Yeah. Well, in, you know, in one sense, I mean, John, look, if, if a group in America got a special representation in government, and I wasn't part of that group, I don't care who the group is, I, I'd feel aggrieved myself about my place in in the nation this this would be an inequality and I wouldn't like it I mean I mean I know he's implying the racial angle there but you know in a way it it, it it's it's correct isn't it 
It is, it is. It's a, as you say, it's actually anti-democratic. What they were proposing was actually anti-democratic, and I said that in some of my campaign material, putting it out, because I, I said, you know, this, this defies all of Australia's democratic kind of instincts and democratic values. Um, yes, there were problems, and as I say, it's ahistorical to say there wasn't a major culture, cultural and uh, clash between between European Australians who arrived and, and Indigenous people who were here. But but equally, I mean, this attempt to to completely rewrite history is also part of the problem. And many many people again got a, got a chance to vote on that, if you like, got a. Got a, got a chance to vote on this attempt to rewrite history in, in all these race terms. Because while it is true, and, and there's been some correction, and it was a necessary correction, to, 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 to let the Aboriginal stories be told, everyone's entitled to their story. We're all storytellers. We all believe in stories. So that, it, there, was, there had to be a correction in that sense. But it's a big leap from correcting people's storytelling, them telling their stories, to then saying that's got to be the basis of all future public policy. Right. They're two different worlds. And, of course, in both of our countries, the, the, the flip side of those culture clashes that occurred was the social justice angle of what, what in Australia we call closer settlement. Whereby, and in the United where you, um, I guess you'd call it the same, where you, you know, basically land, the land reform policies that typified places like Australia, the United States, Ireland, uh, where they where they broke up the bigger states, they broke up the big land holdings, and gave them to ordinary people with small farms, small uh, housing blocks, and so on. And um, millions of people, in your case, tens of millions of people, have benefited from that particular access to to land that up till then was, by any historical analysis, underutilized, yeah. underutilized, while people were living in. You know, people were living in slums and so on in London and whole parts of Europe and so on. And then you had these two countries, Australia and the United States or North America, including, um, that our politicians said at the time in the 1850s and 60s actually used the term underutilised land. Yeah. And, and yeah. to suggest that you could have smaller groups of Indigenous people immune from some kind of social justice push to give more people access and, 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 and opened up living space um, is, 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 a, is an interesting point of the, of the debate because the, the very same people who are, who are going on with these things like the yes vote here and that are often the great social justice warriors. So where's the social justice in leaving millions and millions of people in slums while whole tracts of land go underutilised? So... Yeah. That's where the that's where and most Australians I think got that you're but they're basically saying oh well you're living here on stolen land and people have got their own little houses out in the suburbs and so on and they're thinking oh that sounds a bit over simplistic you know it's a bit over it's just just a bit too simplistic to be believable yes there were problems with how it was how the interaction occurred but if you if you do the positive and negative sort of scale as you often do on the whiteboard, there were many there were a lot of positives that came out of the great land reform pushes in both of our countries yeah. um, in the second half of the nineteenth century. You know, and, um, I looked at something like uh, your president McKinley during this debate. I managed to I didn't know it existed. And I found this your president McKinley's one of his first speeches to Congress. I think it's now called the State of the Union, but then it was called Message to Congress. 
this message to Congress at about the time of the Spanish-American War, but also about the time of a thing called the, the Dawes Act, called the Dawes Act, whereby he referred to the fact that you had a small group of Indian people living in the in, in the middle in the middle country there, while you had all of these people living in slums on the eastern seaboard and all these migrants who'd come in being forced to live in tenements and so on. And he actually said, this is an injustice, basically. So this is, you've got an indigenous aristocracy, his exact words is aristocracy, President McKinley. You've got an, a small indigenous aristocracy holding on to vast tracts of land while everyone else lives in poverty. And he said, that, that can't be allowed to continue. And I think Australians saw that too in this debate. So, so that debate itself might be starting to level up a bit as well. You know, we've yeah. had a strong emphasis on on the Indigenous till now, but as a result of this, that whole balancing of that debate might be starting to happen as well. There was a big generational and geographical uh, breakdown in the vote that put younger urban voters going yes, older rural voters definitely going no. Uh, can you explain that? Uh, yeah, well, it was probably even uh, uh, not, not quite that simple. Yeah, basically had in a suburban, in, in a city, in a city, uh, voters voting yes. You had people in the middle ring and outer ring suburbs, even in the big cities, and, of course, then people in the regional t- cities and in the, in the rural areas all voting no. So you had um, only a small group of people living in what you might, I guess you might call the gentrified suburbs, you know, it was the inner city gentrified suburbs of, our, of most modern cities now. Um, they're often higher income people um, or university students living in, uh, living in units and so on, but most of them are often quite high income people, dual income, power couples, if you like, that sort of, that sort of person personality. And um, they also tend to, in Australia, vote for the Green Party, um, even the Labor Party is losing those seats now to the Green Party, which is more quite more an extreme left party. So uh, that that was really the subset you got. Um, but the interesting thing across the younger demographic, 18s to 25s, um, from being very strong, yes, again when it all started, they ended up, according to the polling in the, in the last few weeks, they ended up being well and truly about 55, 45, no, as well. So they even lost hmm. that demographic. They even lost that demographic. Hmm. Uh, and, and as you went through the as you went through the ages, the age cohorts, of course, the no vote got bigger and bigger as you went along. When the when the numbers fully came in, uh, how did how did the elite supporters react? One commentator in the Spectator, you sent me the story, called it a tantrum. Is that an exaggeration? No, I think it's fairly, fairly accurate. They had a they had a week <laughs> of mourning. They went out. They went into 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 a into a media blackout for a week. They called it a week of mourning. Yeah. They flew the indigenous flags at half mast, and uh, then they've come out again. Now they've issued a statement. Uh, they've issued a statement since they broke their their uh, um, their um, silence, and they've been quite uh, quite on the front foot in terms of attacking the population. That we had no right to say no to them. It's their land. It's their country. We now know where we stand in this our country. Always was. Always will be. The rejection was net. The, the, this rejection was never for others to issue. This is our country. This kind of stuff. So that's what that's that's where we're at with all that. 
Does the vote, do you think, uh, uh, looking ahead, do you think that this vote signals a, an enduring, rising populist resistance? Or is it just a momentary stumble for elites? That's a good question. I'm, 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 I think, obviously it depends on the issue, uh, but I, I, think, I think it does have enduring effect because what it's done, is it's, it's given the alternatives or the opponents of these people who are, who are also like uh, from across the political spectrum. This is not always right and left. You know, there's anti-work stuff and all of that. What it's done, though, it's, it's, it's given these people a very real look at what the numbers are on the ground in terms of how people think about these types of things, and it's given them confidence. It's given them renewed confidence. Like, for example, the opposition parties in Australia, up until this vote was taken, were all too scared to oppose the idea of divorce because they thought they would just get belted in the press and, and, uh, and, uh, and on social media and so on. Now that they've seen the, now they've seen the vote, they're all pulling out quickly. Hmm. Um, so, the, the, so I think that's where the, the value is. You've, you've, got, you've seen probably one of the best opinion polls you can get is a compulsory vote of the whole population yeah. uh, where, they, where they've said no, and not, not no by 51-49, but by a huge majority. And in places like my state of Queensland, it's 70-30. You know, after the, the, the Trump election in 2016, you know, the, the elites came off as just so out of touch and sometimes just outright stupid, you know, uh, uh, obtuse, parochial. Is the same phenomenon in Australia? I think so. Uh, I think this, as you say, this tantrum that they're throwing at the moment is as I think if you would have the vote again next week, it would probably be 70-30 instead of 60-40. Hmm. A, like a bit like the Brexit vote in England, you know, when the, the more they dig in and, 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 uh, and throw this sort of tantrum, the people say, well, hang on a minute, we've had a vote. You don't respect this. You don't respect our vote. Well, you know, the vote will often be worse in response. So mm-hmm. uh, and there's certainly been some very negative reaction even from yes voters about this, these statements they've made since the vote day that, that have been very like, this is our country, not yours, that kind of stuff. Right? It's, again, hmm. left, left people very upset about it. So uh, the next one that some of these people have said they're going to pick off is the trans rights issue um, and the invasion of trans men into, or the perceived invasion of trans men into women's spaces and so yeah. on. So yeah. um, there's certainly been some discussion about that. Uh, I think the uh, this climate change stuff is starting to wane as well. The intensity of uh, of support for that is starting to to, to drop off, um, and certainly the government, the government which, like in Australia, theoretically, you, if you win an election, you can normally be assured of having two two terms. Um, this government is now behind in certain polls that have now come out since the vote. Hmm. Uh, which means it could end up being a one-term government. It's 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 increasingly looking like the problem it's got is it's increasingly looking like not a traditional party of government, which the Labor Party always was, um, but it's just looking increasingly like a like a, an activist self. You know, yeah. And that's and and it's some of its own people uh, on the on the more moderate wing of the party are getting a bit nervous about that too. You can tell this. Um, that yeah. If they don't calm down and get on with the main job of running the economy, looking after people, and uh, 
getting people into houses and so on, um, that they'll, they'll go out in one turn. Well, f- f- final question, John, sort of on the looking out for people. Are ordinary Australians coming to see elites more and more as really just out for themselves in spite of all of their social justice talk? I think so, but I also think to some extent in Australia they always have. I think the problem's always been, until this vote occurred, was that we kind of had a... I think I think that was Trump's point too, wasn't it, about your, your politics as well. You kind of had this consensus, this political consensus between between the party, the major parties, on a whole range of these types of issues. Um, and the people themselves, like we've had some very extraordinary candidates win seats who, who were quite out there in terms of being a bit eccentric and a bit different. Um, similar, you know, this, this non-politician type person. And they've actually won seats and they have done for some time, for 20, 25 years. So now that they've got a breakdown to some extent in the political consensus between the two major parties that tend to form governments, one or the other, right, you know, the centre-left and the centre-right, um, I think you might see um, some interesting votes in the future, but uh, time will tell, I guess. All right, there's the Australian situation. Uh, John Moran, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark. 